hymn, of course, reflecting on that verse from Ephesians 3, where Paul prays that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness uh, of God. And so that's our our prayer as we come to the Lord's Word uh, tonight. I invite you to turn with me in your Psalter to Psalm uh, 3. Be reading that Psalm uh, together uh, tonight uh, as we have been beginning uh, a small journey uh, through the Psalter. Uh, We've looked at the first two Psalms already, and so this evening we want to consider uh, the third Psalm. And so as you turn there, uh, remember this is the uh, living and abiding word of the Lord, Psalm 3. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can have your word before us, the very breathed out word of our God. We know that you speak and by your Holy Spirit you will take these words that we've read tonight and Apply them to each one of us in, in your way, that you will minister to us each in our place, each in our struggles, each in our challenges and joys, even tonight. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, again, send forth your word and accomplish the purposes you have for it in each and everyone's life here in this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, clearly, this is a psalm that immediately brings to mind uh, fear and anxiety. This is what the, uh, what the psalmist is dealing with uh, in this psalm. Um, what do fear and anxiety feel like? No doubt you have uh, experienced this. Uh, this comes from one medical resource. What does fear and anxiety feel like? When you feel frightened or seriously anxious... Your mind and body work quickly. These are some of the things that might happen. Your heart beats very fast. Maybe it feels irregular. You breathe very fast. Your muscles feel weak. Uh, You sweat a lot. Your stomach churns or your bowels feel loose. You find it hard to concentrate on anything else. You feel dizzy. You feel frozen to the spot. You can't eat. You have hot and cold sweats. You get a dry mouth. You get very tense muscles. With anxiety, you may have a more nagging sense of fear and you may get irritable, have trouble sleeping, develop headaches, or have trouble getting on with work and planning for the future. That's one medical resource, fear and anxiety. According to the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, I did not know there was such a thing, but there is, the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force, the lifetime prevalence of uh, anxiety disorders is 26% for men. And 40% for women, that means about, they're suggesting that about one in four men, four out of ten women, will develop some kind of anxiety disorder at some point 
uh, during their lifetime. So it's a serious uh, struggle with anxiety. And then there, of course, are our children. Uh, the BBC, British uh, Broadcasting Corporation in Britain recently reported this. According to Cigna International Health's 2023 survey of almost 12,000 workers around the world, so pretty good uh, sample, uh, 91% of 18 to 24-year-olds report being stressed compared to 84% on average, so more than average that generation. Research indicates, they say, Generation Z uh, are emerging as the most stressed demographic in the workplace and struggling mightily to cope. And what with children, younger and younger, being handed phones and mini computers and access to the world and the opinions of the world and the brokenness of the world right at their fingertips, all in front of them, uh, our children will be increasingly pressed to be stressed in years to come. This past week, my wife and I had a text from our son in California. I think it was Thursday uh, that there had been a, uh, he just texted that there had been a shooting right outside the doors or on the street outside the doors of the Christian college he attends along the street. Uh, He daily walks. And uh, he didn't think too much of it, I guess, but what happens in pastor's heart? Fear, anxiety, and uh, Time to come home, son. (laughs) Time to come home. Psalm 1 uh, was about knowing which way you are going, knowing where you are planted, uh, where you are standing, walking, and sitting. And the only answer, the psalmist says, for, for life is to be firmly planted in the righteous way, word of the Lord. Anything else leads to death. You have to know um, where you are going. And then Psalm 2 tells us all about where all of history is going. Um, you know, because we're told, uh, you know, the world's going to end in disaster or something like this. Well, Psalm 2 tells us where all history is going, and that is God has installed his king, and all the nations will bow to him. And all wicked counsels uh, ultimately will go nowhere. And God's people can have confidence in King Jesus, because all history is heading towards uh, submission to the king. Now, Psalm 3 is the first psalm that we receive that has a superscription. That means something written at the top that is a description of the setting and context of the psalm. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, So we know right off the bat here in Psalm 3 that this psalm is going to get into the nitty-gritty and troubles of of real life. And uh, remember now, enemies of the king were mentioned in Psalm 2. And in Psalm 3, here is a real enemy of a particular king, uh, King David. And so, first of all, uh, there are enemies at the door here in Psalm 3. The story of Absalom's rebellion against his father, King David, is truly a sad story. It's told in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, That story itself has a history. David's firstborn was a fellow named Amnon, who sinned terribly against his half-sister Tamar. Absalom, Tamar's brother, promised revenge and eventually had Amnon killed. Absalom ran away for a number of years only to return and have his father David refuse to see him. Eventually, Absalom returns to Jerusalem. He's summoned by David, his father. Absalom bows before him and they're together again. But all is not well. 2 Samuel 15 Uh, tells of the plot and the workings of Absalom uh, to uh, win the hearts of the people for himself, um, to take away the kingdom of his father. 
by making promises, speaking ill of his father, and generally just simply trying to win their favor. So 2 Samuel 15, a few verses give us the idea. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. He spoke ill about David. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then David said to all his servants who are with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the, which the edge of the sword. And we ought to get out of town because my son, uh, unless we do, my son is, will not only kill me, but he'll kill all of you who support me, the rightful king. So this is Psalm 3. So here we have, here we have God's then appointed and anointed king fleeing for his life, not at the hands of the pagan nations around him that Psalm 2 we're talking about and expecting, but driven from his throne and fearing the wickedness and violence of his own son. What could be, right, if you're a parent, what could be worse than a rebellious child causing fear in the heart of a parent? Um, you know, our children have been troublesome at times. You know, we have eight of them, so that's going to happen. But I don't, I don't think I've ever feared them. But sometimes... Uh, I can imagine that. I can imagine a, a son, for instance, raising a, a hand against his father or raising a, his fist against his, his mother. Right? That happens. The Bible takes that seriously. The Old Testament says a persistently uh, rebellious son, stubbornly, persistently rebellious, uh, requires death because of dishonoring their parents, dishonoring ultimately the Lord. And so it's, it's in this kind of context... Um, wanted dead by your son, that David writes these words. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me, and many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So there are enemies at the door, uh, and they have a specific message for David, and for all of God's people, and they're saying things like this. God cannot save you. There is no hope for you in God. Your soul is wasting its time. You are done. You are finished. It's over. Give up hoping for deliverance. It ain't coming. Give up thinking you have a savior. Give up thinking worship and living for God means anything. It's just you and me. Absalom would say to his dad, this is all you've got. I'm stronger than you. I've got more followers than you. I'm going to eat you up. And you're wasting your time. Uh, There is no hope uh, for you in God. No salvation for you. So yes, uh, you have enemies at the door here in Psalm 3, and they are, and they are if you were, they, they are talking trash to God's people, mocking them. Now, my, uh, my favorite basketball player of all time uh, is uh, Larry Bird. Uh, Larry Bird, anybody? I used to be a very big Boston Celtics fan. And apparently Larry Bird, we're told, was famous for being a trash talker. Apparently he would tell those defending him, folks like Magic Johnson and uh, Isaiah Thomas and many others, exactly what he was going to do on the court before he did it. So, for instance, he'd say stuff like this. I'm going to peel away from your coverage. I'm going to get the ball in the corner and drain a three-pointer in your face. And then he would do it again and again. That's exactly what he did. That's a trash talker. Larry Bird could back it up on the basketball court. But the Bible says, hold on. Uh, not the enemies of God. 
Our enemies talk a good game, uh, and uh, they're all around, social media, politicians, movie stars, news broadcasters, whatever it might be. And what kind of enemies do we have? Well, there's simply what the psalmist is saying here he experienced. There's enemies who seek to undermine our faith in God. They seek to discourage us from trusting God. How so? Well, for David, they could have said, listen, if God has made you king, why are you having all this trouble? They could have said to David, if God loves you, um, why does your son hate you? If God is sovereign, why are you experiencing all this suffering? Or maybe they would say, see, David, and I said something like this, right? See, David, your sin with Bathsheba. Remember that? Obviously, God hasn't forgotten. And it's caught up with you. You thought God had forgiven you. You thought God wanted to still use you. You thought God really loved you and would care for you. Look at you. On the run, hiding from your son and all those people in whom you trusted. God doesn't really love you. If he cared for you, right? And you've got to put in there your own conclusion to the sentence in your own life. Because this is what your enemies are saying to you. If God really cared for you, then this wouldn't be the case in your life. Why would he allow David, your closest friends, to betray you, your son, to break your heart? You don't deserve his saving. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Our enemies are great at pointing out our weaknesses, reminding us of our shame and humiliation and failures, and simply seeking us to to doubt the greatness and goodness of God. Well, that's the first thing. There are enemies at the door in Psalm 3. But there's also conviction in the heart in Psalm 3. Notice what happens here, verse 3. But you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me uh, from his holy hill. O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. David seems to know something that his enemies don't. Uh, David seems to be convinced of something his enemies do not believe. Specifically, he knows something uh, about the Lord. So there's all sorts of folks saying, David, there's no hope for you. There's no salvation in God. Obviously, God has forsaken you. No hope. And then David says, but um, uh, you, O Lord, I know something about you. And then he begins to list them. He's seen him. He's heard him. He's experienced the Lord's faithfulness in the past. In other words, there are certain truths about the Lord that David is convinced about and clings to his mind and in his heart, despite his circumstances, which, uh, uh, which buoy him up. No matter the pull downward. And uh, I think that's a, good, that's a good image. So if you've been to the, well, you probably haven't been yet, but when you go to the ocean this summer and you go swimming, you take your beach ball along, right? You take that beach ball and you're, you're playing out in the water. And um, have you ever tried to sink, uh, isn't this fun? When you try to sink a beach ball under the water. You ever do that? And try to keep it down as long uh, as you can. Uh, for those who know God, who he is, what he's like, trying to discourage them and taunt them and trash talk them into defeat is like trying to sink that beach ball under the water. It's not going to happen. Why? Because that ball uh, will always rise to the surface uh, in an explosion of power and uh, burst through the surface. This will happen again and again throughout the Psalms, as you know. And it happens here. And it starts with this but in verse 3. But you, O Lord. 
This is where you need to start when there are enemies at the door mocking God, discouraging you in times of fear. You don't say, come on in. You don't say, uh, hey, that sounds reasonable what you're saying. Maybe, wait a minute, maybe God can't. No. You don't say, I value your opinion. I want to take your mocking seriously. No. You say, but, um, but you, oh Lord. And notice this really is a prayer. This is not David speaking to Absalom. This is David speaking to God. But you, O Lord. In fact, verses 1 and 2 are also addressed to the Lord. You may have noticed that. David has been simply telling the Lord already uh, what others are saying uh, about the Lord, that he doesn't care and won't help. And so David here speaks, uh, speaks to the Lord. I know who you are. And so uh, when he's faced with enemies at the door, we know what David doesn't do. Uh, David doesn't blame God. He doesn't rail against God. He doesn't stop going to church. He doesn't give up worship. He doesn't give up prayer. He goes right to God in face of his son wanting him dead. He goes right to God. He goes, Lord, I I know what my enemies are saying, but you, O Lord, um, I know something about you. He pours out his soul to God. Even as the greater David would pour out his soul to the Father many years later, remember, think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, the Bible says, as it were, great drops of blood uh, as, he, as he prays earnestly to his Father. David pours out his soul to God here, confessing what he knows and believes. What is it? Well, he knows, here's the wonderful thing about this passage, he knows the character of God. And he says to the Lord, I know that you are a shield uh, about me. There's a wonderful passage, Psalm 125. It goes like this. Those who trust in the Lord, if you trust in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And then the Bible says this. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord uh, surrounds his people from this time forth and uh, forever forevermore. David says, this is what I know about the Lord. He's my protector. He, uh, he is my shield. And so every, everywhere I look around me, he is there as my protector. He's a shield about me or surrounding me. Think of what the Apostle Paul says to the Christian. In Ephesians 6, 16, he says, in all circumstances, Christian, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so when you are trusting in the Lord by faith and who he is, you know who he is. You know he's the shield about you. When you are clinging to faith in him, despite all your circumstances, uh, the Bible says then, you know, when the, when the devil fires off his fiery darts, uh, shield about you. This is the Lord. This is what David knows of the Lord. He's my glory and the lifter of my head. Glory means simply weighty or substantial or, or wealth. We might say treasure. In other words, David's kingdom, remember, seems to be taken away from him, from his son Absalom. But the Lord is what really matters most. He is my glory. And he lifts the head of David. He's the uplifter of my head. You know, in, the, in ancient times, if a, if a king was uh, defeated by the enemy, uh, you read of this in some places, if a, a king was defeated by his enemy, that enemy would take his foot and, and, and put his foot on that defeated king's head or on his neck. Right? And so David, kingdom gone, but the Lord is his glory, his treasure, and, and the Lord is the lifter 
of his head. I think about a child who comes to a parent and, and maybe they're ashamed or maybe they've, they've, they've sinned or uh, maybe they've been hurt and, and they come uh, and they come to their, their parents and their heads all drooping down. And I think about a, a parent who, who uh, you know, lifts, lifts them by the chin and uh, looks them right in the, right in the face and, and just lifts, lifts them up to speak to them, to comfort them, to encourage them. Uh, the lifter of my my head. What else does David know about the character of his God? He's his protector, treasure, uplifter. And when his son wants him dead, notice verse 7, David also knows that the Lord is the avenger. That is, he's the one who, who punishes sin and wickedness. Notice what he says in verse 7. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. We know in the New Testament, the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is what believers know. That all sin and wickedness and rebellion against God will be punished. And um, David knows this, and he knows it so well that uh, he speaks in verse 7 as if it's already happened. For for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. But that hasn't happened yet. But for David, he's so sure about it, it's as if it's already happened. Why? Because he knows that the Lord will punish all wickedness and all sin and all rebellion against him. Now, we know that, of course, in our own life, that either uh, our sin and wickedness and rebellion is punished uh, at the cross in Jesus, taking uh, our sin upon himself, either our sin and wickedness and rebellion is punished there in Jesus, or if we reject Jesus, don't look to Jesus in faith and trust, all our sin and wickedness and rebellion will yet be punished. Right? When the Lord Jesus returns. David knew that. And so despite all that were against him, he knew that the Lord would, would bring punishment on sin. And we know that too. And of course that's why, that's why when we look to the Lord Jesus in the New Testament and he comes to Jerusalem and he, he weeps over Jerusalem because uh, he had come as their Savior but, and, he, and, and, and he would have gathered them together as a, as a, as a hen gathers its chicks, but they were not willing And so he's got compassion and sympathy for them because he knows that in rejecting him, they are bringing uh, judgment on themselves for their sin and wickedness and rebellion. But the believer uh, knows that the Lord is not only protector, uh, shield, treasure, uh, uplifter. He's also the avenger of all unwrongs, all injustice, all wickedness. The martyrs know this in Revelation 6. How long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, until you bring justice on the, a little while longer, they're told. But he is the, um, so that, why is that important? Well, because, friends, the believer never need fear, for instance, that terrorism will go unpunished. The believer will never, never need fear that persecution of Christians is unseen by God. The believer never need fear that somehow God overlooks wickedness and Stalins and Hitlers and producers of child pornography and abusers of women and children and the mutilators of little boys and girls and the murder of infant life within the womb. Never doubt with the psalmist all sin will be punished. Either punished at the cross for those who believe in Jesus. That's why we tell them of Jesus. Or we will need to suffer that punishment against sin ourselves. But there is a Savior. But David knew that the Lord was the avenger. And David knew that the Lord is the one who hears David's cry for help. Remember, the enemies are saying to David, there's no salvation for him 
in God. He will not help you. He will not hear you. You've got to make it on your own. Why pray, David? He won't hear. Why pray, David? You're a sinner. Why pray, David? How could God love you? Why pray? Clearly, the Lord's not interested in you. But David knows better. In verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Now, think about this. David's been driven from Jerusalem. He's driven from Mount Zion. He's driven from the holy hill. But he knows he knows something about his God. He hears him. And he answers. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. David knows the Lord will hear his cry. These are all the things he knows when there is an enemy at the door. He knows the character of his God. Protector, treasure, uplifter, avenger, and the one who hears his cry. One of the, one of the most frequent uh, questions you will hear if you spend any time in our house, maybe a day or two uh, or a few days, one of the most frequent questions you will hear at some time in our house is someone saying something like this. Uh, did you hear me? <laughs> I don't know if you have that in your house. Well, if you're by yourself, you don't have it. But, uh, you know, whether it's a parent talking to the children, you know, they'll say something. Did you hear me? <laughs> or, or another child talking to another. Did you hear me? You know, and the shout goes out through the house. The believer never has to say that to God. He hears. He knows. He sees. He sees it all. He hears it all. A cry of the heart. Uh, and what a precious truth that is for the believer. For everyone, the Bible says in the New Testament, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because Acts 4.12 says there's no salvation in no one, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, and the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Lord won't say, sorry, what was that? No, the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. David knew that his Lord heard him, and that without him, he would indeed be lost. David would have been at the mercy of Absalom unless he knew he could go to the Lord. And so, knowing the character of God, David ends the psalm with this confession. Salvation, uh, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Remember, the enemies at the door are saying to you and to David, there's no salvation for him and God. Your belief in, in the Lord is futile. Why would he listen to you? Think about your past. Clearly he's against you. Look at your circumstances. How could you possibly trust in the Lord in North America in the 21st century? And given everything that's happening, you really believe that he has any concern for you and David. And so I'm saying, so I know something about this Lord. I, I, I've, I've seen him before. I've seen his works. I've studied what he's done. And I've experienced his faithfulness in my life. And I say this, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the only one who can save. And so I am turning to him. Now that's so important. The enemies are at the door seeking to discourage me. Many rise against me. They will continue, David knows, to trash talk and mock and post on Facebook and tweet this and TikTok that and Snapchat something else and on it will go. And they'll continue to say there's no salvation for him and God. But instead of wilt and cower and be destroyed by these enemies, the truth of who God is 
will continue to pour forth from David's lips, and it's the opposite message of his enemies. No, salvation, in fact, belongs to the Lord. Now, you might say, hold on, wait a minute, you missed, uh, you missed some verses. No, no, I saved the best for last. There's enemies at the door. David knows the character of his God, and so he sleeps in the night. Foes surrounding you, conviction within you, where does that lead? Leads to this, verse 5, right in the middle. I lay down and slept. Really? Your son wants you dead? I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. I lay down and slept. This is where this leads. Enemies at the door, they want you to, 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 to give up faith, give up, give up, go to church, give up worship, give up the Lord Jesus. Uh, you can't trust Him. Uh, David says, no, no. Believer at faith says, no, no. I know something about the character of my God. I've read the Bible. I've seen Him at work. I trust Him. I pray to Him. I cry out to Him. And because of that, in the midst of this psalm, enemies all around him, the Bible says David laid down and slept. In the midst of it all. That should amaze you. I think the only thing worse, perhaps, than trying to sleep... um, on a plane is maybe trying to sleep in an airport. You ever, and yet some people do it. You know, I can't sleep on a plane, it's so uncomfortable. But even worse is the airport with those chairs that are impossible to sleep on. And there's people going back and forth, hustle and bustle, and people over the sound system, and all these kind of things. And you're exhausted. Um, very rare do you see someone simply asleep in the midst of all that hustle and bustle. David, the Bible says, lays down. It wasn't just hustle and bustle. It was active enemies against him. David lays down and sleeps soundly. Alec Mott, your one Bible commentator, said this. The subject, I, is emphatic. I lay down and slept. Just imagine, in other words, he says, just imagine, David saying, just imagine this being true of me, placed as I am. And the verbs are past tense, looking back on a delightful, if surprising, experience. For my part, I went to bed. And how I slept. I woke up, for Yahweh Himself keeps sustaining me. No double dose of extra strength Tylenol for David. No warm milk and cookies. No late night movies and infomercials about vacuums. Um, for him. No, he, he knew the character of his God. And notice in verse 5, his circumstances hadn't changed a bit. Absalom was still after him, which tells us, friends, that peace is not first of all about our circumstances, but what we know and believe about our God. Matthew would write of Jesus this in the New Testament Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat, you're in the boat. So that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. 
Mark says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Luke says, And as they sailed, he, that's Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Jesus slept in the midst of the storm. Why? (laughs) Why? Well, because, of course, he knew, and you know, that he is the Lord of the wind and the waves. And so he is asleep. The psalmist in Psalm 127 is actually Solomon who would write, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Rest. Why? Because there is rest for the people of God who know the character of the God whom they serve. And friends, we know so much more uh, than David. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> Many thousands are against him, even his own son. The Bible says he, he laid down and, and he slept. And he awoke to a new day. He didn't stay in bed. He, he awoke to a new day and he could go forth that day too to serve the Lord. Even though there were those enemies against him. And we know, of course, so much more. We know that this same God has sent Jesus, persecuted, mocked, surrounded by his own enemies, but setting his face toward Jerusalem. He was perfectly at peace in the Father's will, knowing that through his own death, at the hands of his enemies, our very salvation comes. And he was not left in the grave, rose on the third day. We find rest in him. No need to be fearful or anxious. He is the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord, how we need to know God better. You see how David responds to to all these enemies? It's what he knows and believes and has become convinced of, of the Lord, that enables him to sleep. How we need to know and love more and more about Jesus so that we would be able to stay with David. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What a wonderful thing if we all, by God's grace at Faith Church, had that kind of trust in the Lord, that if many thousands, thousands, We're against us. But if we knew the Lord, we too, you see, would be able to simply lay down and sleep and rest in Him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It is wonderful, isn't it? We have that rest already in Him. Today, and no matter what, may come against us in times to come. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. Lord, we thank you that not only are we uh, taken in the psalms to the great and glorious heights of uh, Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but we come right down into the, into the terrible reality of sin in the household of David himself, where a son uh, wants his father dead. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can read this psalm and to see how your people of old 
found comfort and hope even when there were so many around them seeking to discourage them from trusting You. And Lord, we live in the United States in the 21st century. Oh, Lord, there's so many around us and around our children, around husbands and wives and parents and children and young ones, surrounding us too on all sides saying, You can't hope in God. Oh, Lord, we hear those voices too. And so, Lord, we pray that with the psalmist, uh, we would immerse ourselves in the truth of Your Word so that we would know more and more about who the Lord really is. That He is our protector. He is our glory. He is the lifter of our head. He is the avenger of all sin and wickedness. And He is the one who hears us in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to come to You when we are distressed, when we are fearful, when we are anxious, knowing that You hear our prayers. And no matter what the world might say, we know that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.